On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Fish's internal exile. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran and Paul Zotter as we continue into the Fish solo catalog with his second release, Internal Exile. You know, it's funny because I, I, maybe I was I was too keyed up in getting my points across in the pre-show or whatnot. I did not use any excessive hyperbole in the introduction, but I'm fairly certain that tonight we are covering, dare I say, the pinnacle of the Fish solo catalog. Wow! Whoa! Whoa! whoa That's provocative. <laughs> Tom, Tom takes offense. Maybe it's a good thing I didn't put the hyperbole in the in the introduction. Uh, well, no, I mean, but it, it's it's a great album. It's it's a great album, but I, I would not, I would not, I would respectfully disagree with that. Would you? Would you? Would you give me a spoiler and tell me what is at the top of your list, Tom? Oh, of course, Sunsets on Empire. I mean, wow. Okay, so uh, again, the the Stephen Wilson connection comes back again tonight. I'm, I'm glad that you said that because I seem to recall, and it was probably I don't know two, three years ago. I had gone through this little fish resurgence, and and I don't have any anything to to back this up. I have no evidence to provide. However, I had always operated on the assumption that Internal Exile was the greatest, and but I always loved Sunsets on Empire, and I started ping-ponging between the two of these albums, and I made on some sort of a text stream, I don't know if it was, you know, it, 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 I don't know where it was, but it was this group, and I said, which one is better, Sunsets on Empire or Internal Exile? And I seem to recall being soundly rebuked for suggesting Ooh. that Sunsets on Empire was even close to being as good as uh, as Internal Exile. So we're I, not rebuked by me. Well, I don't recall, but you know, my memory's shit. But the the group as a whole who, who else who else would have rebuked him? <laughs> you? <laughs> me? Yes, you. And I don't know, Ken may have oh. weighed in as well. But May, maybe, maybe it was me. me. I, I wouldn't have I don't know that I would have fully rebuked you because i think at that time i don't even know that i was familiar enough with sunsets on empire to make that statement i don't know but i certainly would have agreed that internal exile is up there so okay we'll leave the we'll leave the matter open for a couple of weeks as we as we tonight cover internal exile and there's quite a bit to to get to and then in a couple episodes we'll get to sunsets on empire 
Yeah, there are a couple. I, I will say a couple of his later albums have really resurfaced to be pretty pretty damn good. So it, it's a it's a hard one for me now. But I I don't I don't know if I, it's definitely not Eternal Exile. But it, it, we're definitely on a good one. I mean, tonight is a tonight's going to be a good night. Top three, maybe Tom. I would say that's that's fair, Paul. I would definitely say top three. All right, can't wait to see. And I was thinking about this, uh, you know, tonight as I was, you know, hanging out with the kids and, and mentally sort of preparing for this episode. You know, normally I start off with sort of my my origin story for the album in question. And looking at this, and, you know, this album was released in, what, 91, 92, I think, in the States? 91. 91. So we would have been, you know, fully versed in in all things Marillion and Fish at this point. I'm confident that I... Uh, but I, I don't recall if we purchased this as it came out or shortly thereafter. I I have no clear memory of, hmm. of ever obtaining this. But every memory I have of this record is just being in love with it Always. Like, I, I don't recall any sort of warming up period or anything else. It's just every recollection that's that's inside my brain about this album is just positive. Yeah, I, it was definitely uh, the, the late part of 91 that that we discovered this. And I'm and I'm. I mean, Joe, I'm absolutely certain that you were the one that tipped me off that this was in existence and probably played it for me. And in fact, it's quite possible that it was before Thanksgiving and that I actually got my copy at the... At the aforementioned Valley Forge music show? Yes, exactly. So, because I have distinct memories of being at school during the winter session, uh in the early part of 92 and uh, playing and just, you know, spending a lot of time in between school at the radio station and just putting together cassettes of all the stuff that I was playing on the radio. And this was, was definitely something that I had and was listening to. I remember driving around listening to shadow play credo, just good friends. Um, I uh, I remember listening to Dweezil Zappa. I remember listening to George Michael's uh, "The One with Freedom" on it, whatever album that is. No, oh, just like yeah. just all kinds of crazy things going on. Um, so it was definitely we definitely had it, and I agree with you. It there was no sort of what do you think about the new fish? Do you <laughs> would you like it? Do you not like it? What it was. From the start, it was like, yes, this was this was the the fish album we've been waiting for. Yeah, abso- absolutely. How about how about you, Tom? Like, where were you in the same place? Did were you part of that whole thing, or or were you discovering fish in your own way? I embarrassingly enough, I was a later bloomer on this album. I mean, when I say later bloomer, it wasn't wasn't too late, but it was after. I, I actually want to say it was after Sunsets on Empire that I, really? I really discovered wow. Eternal wow. Exile. Okay. And I I I went back. I, I must have heard it because I was familiar with the song Internal Exile 
and Credo, which are still two of my you know, favorite fish songs. Um, so I, I, I heard these. It must have been on, on some sort of live album or, or whatnot. Uh, but uh, I, I really didn't purchase Internal Exile until later. And if I, if I did, I just, I just, uh, it just didn't click, you know, it, it just, sometimes I've, I've been known to like buy an album and, and, and not really appreciate it for what it is until later. But um, I, I know that I had to go back on this one and, and, and really discover it later. I've, I've got some interesting other one interesting other preamble sort of bit, but I, I think it would be better after we do the particulars. So in that vein, Paul, are, are you willing to step in and, and play the part of Ken tonight again for our timeline of progressive rock leading up to October of 1991? I certainly am willing to step in, and I will preamble that by saying that I have not prepared at all, but I have it right in front of me, so I shall do my best to... Uh to move ahead, Rick, just uh, just to set the record straight, 1991, Rick Wright, Richard Wright, was made a full member of Pink Floyd again. Oh, there you go. Outstanding. After, after having been fired in 1980 by Roger and um, after his touring with the Momentary Lapse of Reason. Nice. Um, all right. And presumably he was then photoshopped into the picture. In <laughs> exactly. This would have been the time. <laughs> So uh, some some really good stuff going on uh, worthwhile in 91. So Innuendo by Queen came out. It's a sensational record. And I believe that was just preceding Freddie Mercury's death. Frank Zappa releases three albums. Best Band You Never Heard in Your Life, Make a Jazz Noise Here, You Can't Do Down on Stage Anymore, Volume 4. The album that we can't seem to get away from it constantly comes back in all kinds of conversations yes is union is released <laughs> april 30th 1991 oh. mr bungle oh. uh, i don't know how that makes the progressive rock but I, but uh, okay I'll, I'll give it give it to that um uh june 24th marillion releases holidays in eden uh later that year rush releases roll the bones Jethro Tull, Catfish Rising. Uh, and then within two days of one another, Fish, Internal Exile, Genesis, We Can't Dance. Uh, hard to believe that two such wonderful albums are released just two days apart from one another. That is amazing. Steve Howe, Turbulence, which I think some of his, that shows up on. Yeah, that's, that's some Union Redux type stuff. Yeah, it's bizarro. Um, it's it's ironic that that there are are riffs of Steve Howe on Union showing up on his solo album. Meanwhile, while he's putting the finishing touches on the solo album, there's a whole bunch of studio musicians recording guitars on on Union. That's kind of weird. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> I never thought of that before. Um, also in '91, uh, Osric Tentacles released Strangitude and Pendragon: The World, and there you have it, 1991. As yeah. I often also like to do, I like to recap some of the, the top hot 100 singles Ooh. of 1991 as well. What, what are the kids and listening to in 1991? So the kids were listening to, I, I love this list because as I read through it, it almost takes me back to my movie theater days while I was at college because these are like from movies and, um, 
and listening, you know, things that I heard while I was working at the theater. So the number one top 100 title was by Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, which wow. was actually from the movie Robin Hood, which Michael Kamen had a hand in writing, I believe, as well. Did he really? And yeah. And I'll tell you what, you can, you can say whatever you want about the song. The guitar solo in that song is spectacular. It is... Mm, I mean, it is every bit of sensational guitar playing, and it's a beautiful sort of ballad. I Want to Sex You Up by Color Me Bad, also from a movie. It was from one of my favorite movies from 1991, New Jack City. Oh, love New Jack City. Uh, Gonna Make You Sweat by CNC Music Factory. Unbelievable by EMF. I think that was pretty popular with the kids back oh, then. Oh, EMF. They came to University of Delaware. They caused a big stir when after their show, they went to one of the frat houses right next door to the gym in which they played and partied all night long. Oh, that's a pretty that's a pretty uh that's a pretty awesome thing to do, I think. <laughs> Seems like exactly what you should do. <laughs> well, yeah. If you're I mean, at the University of Delaware after a show. Extreme hit it big with more than words in nineteen ninety one. Uh we've we've talked about that before um damn yankees were ripping it up high enough was a big hit but they had um so there there you have a little bit of what uh the kids were listening to rock and roll was really losing its way and we were losing into that sort of pop vanilla ice was in there a little bit um not that there not that there wasn't some great stuff in there silent lucidity somehow ended up in the top 100 billboard um Freedom 90, as I mentioned. Um, That's interesting. So a lot of things happening, and and I don't, I, I well documented that I can't remember when this came out, but I'm pretty sure in that same phase that I was listening to all of those songs, one of the singles that I had dubbed from the uh, radio station was the new band Nirvana, and it was a song called Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, and, yes. Um, not too long after that, music took a dark turn. <laughs> a very dark turn. Hey, not to not to distract us again, but I, I just had this little moment right here. I, I, my screen on my phone here, which is sitting in front of me, kind of popped up. And I just happened to look down while you were talking, Paul. John Lodge just followed me on Instagram. <laughs> wow. I, I, I'm... I'm feeling kind of cool about that. That's that's like a, a legit celebrity moment, Joe. <laughs> that that is. You know, I feel I feel like we've uh, we've accomplished something here. I, wow. So well, he'll be sadly disappointed that you rarely ever post anything. <laughs> he will be sad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, who knows? Um, I've actually started building rockets again, so you know, anything's possible. I can, like it. Uh, Maybe I need to start posting guitar porn. Who knows? So back to Internal Exile. As mentioned, Internal Exile was released in October of 1991 on the label Polydor, produced by one Chris Kimsey. Personnel include Derek W. Dick, also known as Fish, on lead vocals, Mickey Simmons on keyboards, uh, Robin Bolt and Frank Usher on guitars, David Patton on bass guitar, Ethan Johns on drums and percussion, except Tongues in Eternal Exile, which is Ted McKenna. Male backing vocals are done by David Patton, Mr. Crimson, and Robin Bolt. Female backing vocals are done by Marianne Cairns. Fiddle on Eternal Exile is performed by Charlie McCarran. Whistles by Mark Duff. And box accordion by Donald Shaw. 
And incidentally, for those keeping track at home, Mr. Crimson is none other than Chris Kimsey himself. Is he? Yes. Oh, I, I was not aware. Very cool. Yes. Track listing in the original release, and obviously, you know, with the in the digital age, you know, you get all these extra songs which will come into play here. But the the original track listing was Shadow Play, Credo, Just Good Friends, Close, Favorite Stranger, Lucky, Dear Friend, Tongues, Internal Exile, and the cover Something in the Air. Internal Exile subtitled A Collection of A Boy's Own Stories, was Fish's second solo album after leaving Marillion in 1988. The album, released 28 October 1991, was inspired by the singer's past, his own personal problems, and his troubled experiences with his previous record label, EMI. The album's music reflects Fish's indulgence in the vast regions of music that he wanted to explore as a solo artist, most notably Celtic music and folk styles. The album also has many concert staples, such as Crato, Tongues, and Internal Exile, featuring on a number of Fish's official bootleg recordings. As on Vigil, Fish deals with themes important to him. The song Internal Exile speaks of his strong national pride and his desire for independence for Scotland. Crato is another song dealing with social problems and globalization, echoing State of Mind, his first solo single. The album was produced by Chris Kimsey and dedicated to Fish's daughter, Tara. A remastered version was released by Roadrunner Records on 26 October 1998. Now, one of the things that I came across, you know, when when I go to pull up the, the Wikipedia in preparation for this, I just literally type in whatever album title I'm looking for. But in this particular case, norm, normally the album... Wiki, wiki page is at the top of the uh, of the search. In this particular case, however, instead I got a dictionary definition of internal exile that was so striking, given what I just read, and and given you know what I saw on the video that I wanted to include it here into the record. the The dictionary definition that came up is internal exile noun. Penal banishment from a part of one's own country. There is a Wikipedia page for the, the noun internal exile. Internal exile may refer to a form of exile from in which one is banished to rem, a remote part of one's own country rather than being deported. So, you know, again, we, we have sort of established here that fish does not use words lightly. And, you know, I, I honestly, in all the years, didn't really give Internal Exile much of a thought. But seeing that sort of written that way and and thinking and listening to the song Internal Exile sort of with open eyes, it's like, wow, that, that was, he was really just putting it right out there um, in terms of, you know, what he really wanted. And I, I just, it added something for me just seeing that i i think that's amazing and, and joe i didn't really think of that until reading this earlier as well uh when i always would hear internal exile i would think of strictly your personal journey i would like i would think right. of your your things that were personal to you that were going on and it wasn't until i read this and read about more about you know the subjects of um credo 
and and some other ones that were similar to subject matter on his last album, which is which is political. So I I, I was I was blown away by this. Maybe the same time you were reading it like <laughs> earlier today. It's amazing, and and this is why this is so. Uh, one of the reasons why this is so much fun, what what, what we right. do here, because we sort of dig deeper and we and we realize, wow, I've been listening to this for how many years, and um, I had no idea. So uh, this is this is wonderful, and and yeah. it 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 kind of got me thinking because, like, I was I was part of the fun for me when when faced with something like this, it's like okay, cool. You know, Fish wants independence for Scotland. And if you listen, and, and we'll get to this, but when, you know, I, I think he, he expresses that in an exceptional way in terms of, of how he, again, uses his words to create images and situations. And, and I, I, I sort of had to, to ask myself, how do I feel about that? And I don't have an answer because I'm neither British nor Scottish nor English nor Welsh um, nor Irish. I, I have no... I have I have no knowledge of or or stake in in that in that thing but I was like you know how does that make me feel is that is that appropriate is it subversive I don't know all I'm trying to say is when I when I figured this out and I, I read these these words and these definitions and and thought about how serious this was as as a topic I just you know you know, took a took a little mental vacation and and wrestled with it a little bit. I can't, <laughs> didn't come to any conclusion, but it was you know I think to your point, Tom. Again, it 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 added something else to the experience that had never been there before. Fish has a a way about him where he can get political, and he doesn't ostracize you if you are leaning in one direction or another. Now I don't I can't imagine that people would be that opinionated in the United States about this subject matter. I mean, right. Not that it's not important, but I mean, you know, Americans are sort of into their own thing. Um, a, a bit, a bit clueless at times. Um, ignorance is bliss, if you will, sometimes uh, with uh, Americans and um, politics outside of America. But even if you do have a certain opinion Fish is so clever with his lyrics. He's so creative and he paints such vivid pictures. You're sort of sucked in and you, you are, you, you take it like I think you should take all forms of art, which is you take it with a, a blank canvas, if you will. And you're interpreting what is, what is being presented to you, not, not preached to you and fish does that really well. So I'd be interested to talk to maybe Ken Fuller or, you know, someone who, um, yeah. you know, has, has a different perspective uh, over, over the pond and uh, what, what sort of thoughts he had about it. But um, I mean, this is um, very, very creative storytelling about, about politics. You know, we, we set this up, this sort of parallel Peter Gabriel fish track because we were hoping to discover some some parallels and some connectivities this is one of those right because we i think we've now firmly established in in previous episodes on on fishmar 
as well as vigil and, and now tonight i think we're going to make this this point tom that, that you just laid out that fish is able to to get his point across without preaching at you which is something that peter gabriel also is exceptional at doing so so here we have a major connection point um between these two and you know this is diff they are in this regard differentiated by certain individuals that maybe we covered in our last large segment at the end of 2020 you know without going too deep into that you know ironically like Marillion was was at the peak of where they had been they were playing the largest venues that they had supporting clutching at straws and they fell apart fish didn't want to do that he wanted to to be you know go back to more intimate things and yet if you think about Vigil, when we talked about it last week, there's so much like, like sort of commercial nonsense going on in different parts of Vigil that, like, you know, we joked around about, you know, people can't, can't I can't wait to hear the fish uh, solo material. And then the single that they get is the big wedge. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Where like Marillion was season's end, like, you know, they, they came out with, you know, uh, you know, if you compare what the big wedge is like to the rest of the fish catalog versus like Easter to the rest of Marillion, like it really like like Marillion waited a whole to their second album with Hogarth before they started releasing questionably commercial items that that might or may have alienated uh, fans. And um, the irony of it all is I feel like whenever bands from the UK do that it's always to like turn on the Americans to what's going on. And we're usually the, the ones who are like, what the fuck is that? We don't want that. <laughs> um, right. So, so it, I, I wonder, you know, had fish has had had his first solo album been internal exile, had Credo been his first single instead of the big wedge, if things would have been, taken a different trajectory for him or in the early 90s boy that's that's quite a quite a question there because yeah credo is nothing like big wedge (laughs) no i completely agree It, it is interesting how they sort of took reverse courses merlion and fish with the commercial aspects and it's interesting that that fish just sort of said, screw it on this album and did a lot of these like Celtic type of themes. And I don't know if it was commercially more successful, but it's certainly a better album throughout the course of all the albums that we talk about. There are a number of albums kind of like, you know, let's just take 2112 for instance, where the band just said, screw it. We're doing what we want now. And then they end up being more successful. Uh, I, I wonder if, that was the same thing. Although the hypocrisy here is that fish talks about vigil as an album that he was very proud of. And I think it was more, if it was just more of a personal thing because he, that was his first album by himself and he was maybe just so personally proud of it to get out. Okay. He, it was an album that he got out and he, he wanted to prove it to other people, maybe Marillion or uh, other fans or, or whatnot. But, um, you know, certainly this album 
is a better album and it goes in different directions he he has no problem going in different directions on this album and it it works better for him i think i think there's there's one other potential overarching point that I would like to get into before we get into the individual tracks. And I've, I've made the comment before, and I made it explicitly last week. So I'm going to ask the question to you guys, because, Paul, I, I got the impression last week you weren't necessarily sold on this. Do we need to consider the impact of Chris Kimsey on this record? And, and was it, in fact, designed to sound better? dare I say, more Marillion-like, even though it was not? I think that theory certainly holds water, because it does. The theory that I've, I've carried around for lo these many years, if you theoretically stand far back and don't pay much attention and just sort of take the wall of sound as it is, there are certain Marillion-like elements that sort of come across at you. But if, oh. you, if, if you go in close and pay attention to the individual parts that are, are being, you know, played at you, in, in, in the fine detail, they're actually nothing at all like what Marillion would do musically. And that's, that's why, you know, I've, I've sort of made that point. I think this, this is one of the reasons why we needed to speak with someone like Chris Kimsey, because I don't know how much influence he actually could or did have on this, but there are certain instances where either the way that you know you'll have two guitar parts that are sort of mixed and blended on top of each other keyboard sounds that are used um you know there there are certain like drum cues that will come up every now and again that you almost wonder if, if chris didn't you know you know hit hit the mic in the, in the control room and say you know hey why don't you do a, a quick little snare fill there you know or something i i, I don't know mm. but, it's those sorts of of things that sort of create to me this illusion, if you will. I, I agree with you, and and for me, some of the guitar work that happens on this certainly fits that bill, and certainly is more pleasing to my ears for to hear Fish singing over. And and I would say that if you're not careful, you could walk away from your stereo humming in your brain just good friends, and by the time you're finished chopping up your potatoes for dinner you could be singing Torch Song. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but but again, you know, and, and, and you can start that, but I think if you, like I said, if, if, you, if you put on the headphones and you really pay attention to the guitar lines, it, it's clearly not Rothery playing. For sure. E even yep. though at a distance, the, the, the impression is very similar. It's, yes. it's not Rothery playing, but I'll tell you, Joe, there are times on this album that Fish takes the what Rothery did, and even Mark Kelly, there's these counter melodies that go on over Fish's melody, or I should say under Fish's melody, that maybe not, don't sound like Rothery, but they sort of have the same effect. And I right. think he, maybe there was a situation where He's like, okay, well, when I'm singing the chorus to say, Credo, can you give me some sort of melody or something? And then just subliminally, he, he got that from Rothery. And it might sound different than, than Rothery, but there's a lot of that on this album in particular. And I think as we, as we go through the catalog, we're probably going to 
recognize a lot of the stuff, you know, more so. But um, I, I think there's a really nice texture to this. I mean, these guys aren't just playing these chords, you know. Yeah. These, these guys are playing. They're operating to me like a, like a band would, not not like higher guns right. that are supporting a songwriter. Yes, and I think he Fish was smart enough to sort of take his experience with Marillion and and take that band experience and incorporate it into his solo album without sounding like okay, this is a you know a songwriter and th these are the guys around me that are just supporting what I'm doing. Uh, it, it seems like there's a real um, style to to what's going on here so uh I, and uh, yeah i have some notes about that it's interesting that you brought that up joe because i have some notes on that with certain songs with the with the counter melodies of the guitar cool and and just looking then at the at the songwriting credits it's it's a lot of it's a lot of dick it's a lot of i mean well obviously fish is credited on on every song except for the last one um but it's a lot of 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 fish with like two of the others or different combinations thereof so you get a lot of bolt and usher um happening you get a lot of dick and simmons um <laughs> i'm sorry oh i'm such a child i'm, I'm sorry we were all thinking it <laughs> So one thing you get on the palaver is a lot of dick. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, walked right into that one. Uh, but anyway, I okay. I should have just hit the mute button. Sorry. That's okay. It's it's all good. We enjoy it. So, and, and, and again, I'll, I'll be curious, Tom, to keep an eye out for that in the rest of the catalog. Because, again, if, if, it, if it shows up everywhere, we can credit Fish. If it doesn't show up nearly as prominently, then I think that speaks to the the input of of the producer here. But but we'll see. Because honestly, I I don't know. All I know is that my impression is that this album is is the one that makes me think most of Marillion. But even though it's not anything like Marillion. Yeah, I mean, not to delay it any further, but this is an interesting time because this is around the time when, as we mentioned, the music industry was taking a turn, particularly for rock music. And I dare say that it, across the next 10 to 15 years, th this this full evolution happens. But, you know, you're, you're starting to find bands that are, are, they're not getting a producer. The record company isn't giving the band a producer to be in charge of creating a record that's going to make the record company money. The band is actively looking for a producer to help them make the album that they want to make. And certainly in Fish's case and in Marillion's case, as they continue on, they're, 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 the end game is ma just making a record. It's not, it's not doing something for the record company, right? I think we've talked a lot about right. that already. And so... I think that, yeah, what Chris Kimsey does here is helps Fish capture that atmosphere that that is best suited for him, um, at least at this time, and I think is most pleasing to us. What what I, what amazed me as I as I continue to go back and revisit the Fish catalog, and certainly when I listen to Veltsmerch, is that there there's a there's a certain mastery of sonic dissonance here like, like there there is a uppity like even when fish is singing about 
very difficult things or, or, um, you know, emotional things. There is a certain, uh, happiness and, and, uh, upbeatness. I'm just going to use that word to, to this music that wasn't present at all in clutching at straws. And I, I want to say Ken, Ken said something about, you know, how Marillion may have just been making all this beautiful music, not even paying attention to what Fish was singing about. But as I, as I, I listen to Internal Exile and just think about Clutching at Straws, I think, man, the music in Clutching at Strong, at Straws is a downer musically. If you just listen to the music, it kind of brings, it's kind of melancholy. I don't, you don't get that with uh, internal exile and i've noticed the same thing as i listen to other things of fish that that you know there's always a snap to it something similar to what you're talking about paul i brought up at one point when we were talking <clears throat> about the um first four studio released um merlin albums that one of the things that i found remarkable that i never really appreciated was fish's rhythm mm. he sort of does this like alternative rhythm that is very deceiving like you it's he makes it sound sound easy um but when you try to sing along you're just like oh my god how the hell did he fit all these words in this yeah. space and i was trying to sing along today to internal exile and i was just like i you know i mean i just couldn't do it because i mean there's definitely i mean he's sort of like the um Celtic, you know, God, so to speak. Okay. He, this is his yes. background. So I wouldn't expect to be able to do this easy, but on top of it, just being fish and his prog background as well. And the way he goes about phrasing, um, he makes things fit and he makes things work that you just would not think yeah. could, could work. Yeah, and um, it, it it sort of ties in a little bit with what you were talking about. I think. Yeah, and and while you're turning into a Cylon, Tom, even though we haven't even started talking about the tracks of the album yet, um, <laughs> the oddly in Shadow Play, when he when he chooses to sing the rhythm exactly along with the rhythm of the band, he seems to fail miserably at doing so. I, I always feel like he's just a little bit behind or just a little bit ahead that 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 section. I don't mind it. I just think it's so. So, Paul, maybe that that's a that's a great segue into the tracks then since you brought up Shadow Play. Uh first track on the album, you know, again, I think in terms of of opening an album and sort of setting a a tone if that's the right turn of phrase, I think this this does a remarkable job of of doing that. And I think there are, you know, a lot of these these sort of attributes that I was I was talking about earlier where you have, you know, the guitars and the keys, you know, mm. operating sort of in in harmony with each other. Um you know, again as we pointed out that Marillion does, th this one also has a lot of those those snare fills that that you know, again, I think to me echo a lot of what what Ian does. But overall, I think there there's great dynamics in this song, right? Because, and I'm not exactly sure. I'm I'm guessing you're probably talking about the um, about the chorus sections where where Fish is is trying to 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 stay with with the rhythm of of the yeah. music. 
Yeah, he actually does a pretty good job. That's really just probably me making more of a joke, but yeah. But but but, but the the point is, and I think we we made this this point in the last episode or at some episode um, where it's, you know, the, you've got these songs, right. That create this tension and, and then you get to like some, some chorus and it just all evaporates into nothing. And you're like, what, what, where, where'd all that cool tension go? And, and, and I think, I think shadow play is able to, you know, to, to create that tension and maintain it, even with, you know, a, a more or less straightforward chorus section as well. So I, I, I think, you know, I'm not going to say Shadow Play is, is my favorite track on this record, but I think it's an excellent way to open this record. I, it is. It's a beautiful first. And I, and I actually, I do love the, the interplay, right, between the, uh, you know, the real stark rhythm and the, you know, guitar kind of and then you know into the uh you know the shadow play part where it you know comes with the keyboard parts again like i love i love that interplay the sort of the a and the b that that kind of go along there all i'll say is i think this is a good song to start with it sort of kicks you off and there's a lot of really nice texture to this there's a lot of dynamics with like sort of a rock and song it's nice where you have this dynamics where it sort of he, he sort of takes you down and and then and then builds you back up and um he isn't afraid to just go for it lyrically i mean he he just uh it, it's just gr great lyrics and it is a a very accessible song um yeah you, yeah is is run to the magic of the magic of the shadow play. Is that qualify as a mantra? Uh, or is that too many words? That's a great question. I think it's too many words and he doesn't, he doesn't repeat the same phrase cause he mixes it up. Right. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like he says that a lot, but I love that part. Like, and, and there's, there, there's, there's something about, the magic of the shadow play that just is it just it captures my imagination and like you, you guys have been saying the fact that it's the opening track you know and you get this this you know you get this triplet beat going and it's the run to the magic of the magic of the shadow play it's so great and it just builds up into the where and air and air and air and air and air and you're just like when you're in the car you're just like yes <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it might not be the best song ever, but it definitely is the best intro to to a to an album ever. Then we can go on to Credo. Um Credo, interesting. I, I you know, this one is perhaps, you know, a little bit more obvious, but when you look at the Merriam Webster definition of Credo, it is a guiding belief or principle. And so, or a creed, if you will. So when you think about, you know, this particular song, I, I'm guessing then that the It Don't Mean Nothing ultimately becomes the, the creed of which we are preaching here. Because, and I, I don't know if you guys watched the video for this. 
you know, if if Shadowplay creates and maintains this tension, Kratos at the beginning of that almost pushes it to a fever pitch. And if you if you watch the video, Fish is in some sort of stone building cave thing. I don't know exactly what it is. It's there is there appear to be a lot of of masonry and and relative darkness and and the band shows up occasionally but he's he's in this he's on the floor surrounded by TVs showing all this this stuff you know it's really really manic and as as much as I always enjoyed the song when I watched the video it it literally made me kind of edgy just watching this and it, it's it's just it's it's an amazing bit of visual and a lot of the rest of the the video kind of dissipates some of that but that initial opening scene is is to me absolutely striking and um yeah i just it, it it's it, it's really something 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 to see so i watch the tv every night i stay awake by satellite i hope and pray the nightmares stay away today an oily shroud on a coral reef a black clouds hanging over me when i hit on the remote the programs stay the same when cancer sucks a young girl's breast when a company chains a young man's soul when the coal dust stole my granddad's breath away when he delivers that line when the coal dust stole my granddad's breath away. And and mm. this is that sonic dissonance that you were talking about, Paul, because if, if you don't think about it and you listen to, to this, it, it's, it's kind of catchy, you know, but, yep. and, and, and when he delivers that, it, 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 maybe I'm putting too much into it because, uh, but I don't know. It just, there's something about when you look at fish, right? He's engaging. He's one of those. He's he's almost Henry Rollins esque in the fact that there's just something about him that that grabs you, right? She's got this huge, you know, and and his visual in in this in this era is, you know, he's he's losing his hair. He's got this widow's peak and a big bald spot. He's got this huge ponytail. He's <laughs> he's he's got like a a, a stubble length beard going. But you can't look away from the guy. And and he just he looks right in the camera when he's delivering that line. And it's it's a it's a heavy line, it's a weighty line. He's talking about, you know, the 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 personal impact of of coal mining on his family, on him. And you get the importance of it, but it's it it's not preachy. It doesn't it doesn't bring you down. He's just being upfront about it. I, I, I'm just going on and on, but it's, it, it really moved me. Yeah. Um, you put that wonderfully. This song is such a wonderful song. I mean, this is definitely on the top in the, in the top five, it would have to be on my fish song list. And the way I see fish or the, I should say the way I hear fish compared to Marillion, I like them both. The fish, the highs are higher, but the lows are lower. Like mm. when you know, it, it's it's just when you're at the peak, you're just it's sort of it's just ecstasy, and then he sort of goes in the wrong direction, <laughs> and things go really wrong, really really wrong. And so I, I think that this song, to me, is 
everything that like a, a a rock song should be. And like when I, if you would say, okay, what's your definition of like the perfect rock song and, and what, what elements are in a, in a perfect rock song? If I was to dare try to answer that question, it would be this song credo. And I, I think that you have substance, you have heart, you have um, just wonderful melody. And then in the chorus, I mean, it's just so wonderful hearing that beautiful vocal line and then the guitar line that comes in. Mm. And it's just... Yeah, the way that guitar it, comes that in underneath is, that. Oh, it's tasty. Oh, it, it really is. I mean, you're just like... I just want to thank God. I'm like, thank you for this. <laughs> or, you know, it's just like, it's just perfect underneath that. And the reason why I get so, there's going to be times where you're going to be surprised how sort of down I am <clears throat> about fish is because he hits, <clears throat> he's, he's hit the, like the, the top and he doesn't quite always know how to get back there. Like maybe he doesn't care because he's just like so into what he's doing. Um, you know, he's always, you know, he's happy living in a small house with his garden and, you know, and I, I appreciate that, you know, he's always done what he wants to do, but like this song, like I want to hear more of the song. Like I want to yeah. hear this song and yeah. there's just elements of it with the melody and the counter melody under with the, with the guitar and it's just, it's just the best to me of, of this genre. And again, I know I've said this a zillion times, especially talking um, when we talked about King's X, you know, there's just melody and counter melody in like a, a harder rock setting that, that, that really encapsulates, you know, my, my love for, hard rock song i don't think credo is really that hard rock but you know it definitely yeah. has a little bit an edge to it and you know there's distortion and the and the guitars or whatever it's but it's 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 layered in a way that it the the texture is just um riveting and the subject matter gets you and it's just so well done i mean the production we talked about vigil okay having too much of a a wet sound I think you brought up brought that up, Joe, last week. <clears throat> I mean, this is to me like the porridge is just right with with right. The, you know, and yeah. it's like it's not too produced. It doesn't sound like a demo the other direction. It's just this is the right this is the right production for this song, and um, <clears throat> I um, I just cannot say enough of this song. Yeah, I, I was going to make a joke about. You know, it's well documented on the palaver that, you know, lyrics are the last thing that I concern myself with. And and many times never do I concern myself with lyrics. And I always just celebrated this song as finally it, there was a chorus that I could sing along to and it could explain exactly how I feel about the lyrics. They don't mean anything to me at all because I don't even know what they are. And I can just <laughs> sing happily along. You know, the way that he gets his point across so efficiently in the verses and and credo is just such a great word, you know, and it fits so well with the music because, you know, when he's 
when he's spitting out all the lines, it's basically just a nothing. It's just the chords. And when he's just saying Credo, that's when you start getting these little melodies. It's yeah. just the, the, it's so complimentary. It's so wonderful. And the idea that, you know, all of this, all of the shit that is going on in the world and all the hypocrisy and everything that you see that, you know, it doesn't really matter what your credo is. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything because we all just ignore it in the name of the dollar and commercialism and, and all of that other, other stuff. It's just, it's extremely powerful. And there's really only two parts to this song. It's just really an A and a B there's, there's, that from a song structure perspective, like the only difference between the verse and the chorus is the guitar riff. There's really only two parts to the song. So it could not be simpler. And it it's fairly long song for two parts, you know? Well, I, I hear it as three, Paul. I hear the, the verse. And then when he says Kratos, that's like almost like a pre-chorus. It, or, it, it is. And, yeah. And then the chorus is when he's saying you know, yes. Don't, don't mean nothing. So, uh, musically, I mean, to me, it just feels like it's two parts. That's all. That's uh-huh. that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right. Right. But there is a build. There's dynamics within it yeah. for sure. The get the guitars are really tasty. The get the guitar solo. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, the, the there's a lot of there's a lot of really fun guitar work going on in here, and and, and you know we already talked about it, but you know when you get into that chorus, the way that that fish and the guitar kind of circle around each other it's just woo, thank you and then the friend zone anthem so just good friends talk about the the joys of the palaver right <laughs> I, i've i've been running around for you know again however long this album's been out um you know just absolutely reveling in it and you know some things are just self-evident and just good friends right it, it's okay it's just it's part of of the whole joy of this record and then tom comes out of the woodwork as as he often does and says i found a major gem this week while listening to internal exile bonus tracks there is a version of just good friends performed as a duet featuring vocalist sam brown she's toured with pink floyd and david gilmore as a backup singer anyway it's bordering on criminal that fish didn't put this version on the album. It's an otherwise forgettable song that completely comes to life as a duet. Now, (sighs) very shortly before Tom sent out that text, I was doing what I call sort of my my in-depth prep for this. And, And that is where, you know, at some point, two to three days before we record, I will I will carve out an hour of my life. I will sit down with the with the album in question and I will I will pay careful attention after having listened to it, you know, for as many times as I can. Um, sometimes in headphones, this particular time in headphones, and I will make, you know, whatever notes that I, I bring to the to the recording episode. So literally I had just gone th- you know, I I, I I had just gone through this and I was I was stunned by just listening to the guitars and the way that they're they're split and mixed and 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 just enjoying sort of the interplay and the and the two parts and and I was like wow this 
this song is better than I ever even imagined. It's so good. And beyond the subject matter that, that you know, Paul, you pointed out, it's, it's the ultimate um, friend zone anthem, which is, okay, cool. Very fantastic. And, you know, I, I've, I've been in my share of situations like that, so I could totally relate. And then Tom comes in, and I'm like, all right, I got to listen to this, this Sam Brown version. And and I, I I'll be completely honest with you, Tom. I went into it with a with a very colored set of lenses. I was like, well, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. This is crazy. <laughs> and 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 so I started listening, and and immediately, like I said, and I don't know if we found out any information on this, but to me, this sounds like a completely re-recording. The guitars sound nothing like. Um, what they were. In fact, I think it's it's it sounds almost like a single acoustic, doesn't it? As opposed to the to the to the split um, guitar. It's definitely scaled down. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 Fish's vocal is is much more subdued. And 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 I literally there's and I don't even remember what line. It's one of the very first lines, um, or it's, it's in the beginning part of the song. But he he says something, and it, it's got kind of a a it, it's sort of a sharp breathy attack and i'm like oh that sounds like tom i mean like a lot like tom that's something that tom would do and and so that's why i made that point <laughs> and and i was it was it literally just hit me like a, a hammer on the forehead i was like holy shit okay and, and i was like uh, you know so the first time through i i wasn't really sold um you know i i do think that I'm a big fan of what I would refer to as vocal texture in a song, and Sam certainly provides that. And I, I you know, I, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't really sold because there were some aspects musically and and vocally of the original that I just I really respond to. But the more, I, so I, I kept at it though, because you know. Tom, you're my buddy, and I wanted to understand this. And and what I came to to ultimately re realize, and and it was when I found the video that really kind of helped catapult me over this. It's it, it's really two completely different treatments of the subject matter. So when you in the original, from a from a storytelling perspective, right, it's completely internal. Fish is is you know the 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 holder of this unrequited love um, flame, and it's 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 sort of a, a very deeply personal look into the 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 pressure that one carries around with this. There's you know what do I dare you know try to break this wall? And you know many of us have been there, and it usually doesn't work out very well. But when when Sam Brown sings the other part. And, and especially in the video, you get this sort of back and forth of, and, and, and now suddenly the, the story is, you don't really know if the story's got a sad ending or a happy ending because they're both looking at each other at this point with these, these feelings and they're both afraid to express them for the, the exact same reason. So you don't know if, you know, one of them is brave enough and they, they end up, you know, having the happy ending or if they're they they both keep their own counsel and stay apart but either way it's an entirely different perspective on on the song it it changes the narrative delivery quite substantially and and, and I, hmm. I i really started to sort of enjoy that aspect of it even though 
musically it it I don't enjoy it nearly as much but it's that it's that narrative portion that sort of makes it it fun for me like and I'll just I'll, I'll say one last thing and before I shut up and and let you give your perspective Tom but like one of the things musically that I absolutely love is sort of the 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 dual solo section how the, the the one guitar solo bleeds into the other one with a completely different sound and it just sort of that second one just you know shoots it into the stratosphere whereas i think in the sam brown version it's it's much more you know um level in terms of that delivery and and it just it for me it doesn't it doesn't like you know get my juices going but that that's that's sort of the the journey that I've had with this song over just the last couple of days since you texted that, Tom. Uh, it's interesting to, to hear you um, talk about it in that way because, yeah, I mean, we, we bring different textures to this, which is one of the, the fun things about it. I, I think that a lot of times I am guilty <clears throat> of my own expectations and like wanting to hear something and I don't hear it. And I get very impatient with something. And I am at such a high on Credo. <laughs> you can't, nothing can, can help. There's no parachute. Like there, there, there's, there's, there, there's no easy way off of this high cliff. Okay. And so I, I will say that I am <clears throat> prisoner to my own, what what I want to hear in my head after Credo, I'm not ready to be brought down any. I want to, I, I, st I still want to be at that level. So when I said forget, uh, you know, it was forgettable. I am coming from a place that is like the best of the best prior to this. So we're still at a pretty high spot. Okay, um, so I'm, I'm I'm pretty hard on it. But, you know, we're sort of already in the stratosphere. So um, I, I will admit I, I never heard the song as you, know, as you did, Joe. I, I, I didn't have an emotional attachment to it. There are times where I did enjoy it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going with it. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying certain elements. And things are going still well with the being the third song and I'm happy, but uh, there were also times when I would listen to this album and I was just like, okay, oh yeah. What am I doing? You know, <laughs> I just, it just, I just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So I think that when I heard the Sam Brown version, um, I heard it the way I wanted to hear it. And it was very selfish of me. And maybe because I'm I was hearing it the way I want to hear it because I you know, it's the way I sing something or record something or whatever. Um, but I, I will say jumping ahead to a couple of other songs later that we'll talk about, you know, weeks from now, there are some wonderful, wonderful ballads that are duets that Fish does that are just stunning. And that really just melt me. I mean, I just can't believe that he's, you know, someone that gave us the first four Merlin albums is, is doing, going in this direction with these duets. And his voice is, sounds so good with 
these wonderful female singers. And I was sort of, when I heard this, it sort of took me back to that. And I was like, well, wait a minute, this is what I'd liked so much in these other songs. And Sam Brown really has a rich voice. And I think that they, the two voices mix really well together. And I, although I'm not a big country fan per se, uh, one thing that country music has that I enjoy is you can really hear the texture of voices in country music because you don't have all the distortion. <laughs> okay. And um, are you guys still there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Keep going. Locked in. Joe, your head is so still. I, I thought you froze. Like, I'm <laughs> like, that to me Joe earlier. hasn't moved his head at all. Like, is he frozen? So, <laughs> Because last week we first anyway. So um, one thing, the, the, some of the things I, I I really like about country music is that you 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 really hear the texture of the voices in a way that you don't hear in maybe uh, you know, a, a lot of other things because the production is a bit scaled back. Um, it's generally over an acoustic or acoustic instruments and. Um, there is a, a certain richness in, in, in the voices. And um, I think that even though fish, you don't think of fish as country. I mean, who does? I mean, but I think he, he, I don't know if he set out to write a country song or he just was writing a song that he, you know, he, he liked and he didn't really care what the title was, but I mean, this was just like a, 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 a great country tune that, I, I think worked much better with another singer. I was unable to find a lot of history behind this version. I did look and I, it, it was, I, I was, I was not successful. I, I will keep doing it. Uh. But what I think happened is they did this version first. And can, can I stop you there, Tom? Sure. Sure. I, I have the answer for you. Oh, please uh, do. B- before we have another Milo incident on our hands. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, in 1995, on the fish on the uh, Dick Brothers record company, they released a uh, two compilation albums, two separate compilation oh, albums called Yin Yang? and Yang. Yes, okay. and they were a combination of a total of 26 tracks, and half of them had uh, all of them were remixed. Uh, but uh, 13 of them, I believe, were re-recorded. And this was one of the ones they re-recorded for the Yin and Yang compilation. Wow. That is interesting because Yin and Yang are, are – I've, I've been aware of Yin and Yang for years, but I have never actually successfully sourced them. So, Well, based on the covers uh, that I see on the Wikipedias, it looks like you would have to go to the – uh, they, they look like Japanese covers. They look like Japanese imports just from the cover. Unless that is, you know, the yin and the yang, you know, part know. of it. I don't know. Hard to well, tell. Well, Paul, that's fantastic. That means I don't have to be upset with Fish for putting his version on because he did release it. the other one didn't happen until yes. know, 44 In fact, years later. And so Tom... Great. He liked this version so much; it was the lead single for the Yin and the Yang release. So, wow. Okay, yeah. I I feel a lot better now because uh, I, I really was, I really, I was, <laughs> I, I lost sleep over this when I heard it. I really did. <laughs> I, I, 
I'm not joking. I was like, how the hell would could he put that version on? This is just such a beautiful version. I was like, I'm gonna when I talk to him, I'm gonna ask him this. Uh, that, that. And so this is wonderful. Um, I can I, I don't have to have that uh, that angst. Yeah, the, that's right. We don't yeah, want that. Nice. And and now Tom and I can both be happy with uh, our versions, and we're both yes. right. Right. Yeah. Great. And I I have to uh, I have to say that you know from the very beginning I've always loved this track. I thought it rounded off the first three songs of this this record in equal equal stature, and um, I always thought that it was just such a great it was just such a great expression of that of of what the song is about. Right. And like Joe said, you know, we've all been there now at the time I, I didn't, I didn't realize that this was going to be such so commonplace in my middle-aged life, <laughs> but, but it, it's an amazing, it's amazing sort of emotional projection of what that situation is. And it's, it's always been just one of my favorite little ditties from from life, from my my uh, listening to music, and, and what I didn't realize until this go around was how it literally is produced like an anthem. Like, yeah, it starts out and the verses and the drums come in on the second verse, and then the big guitar solo, which incidentally has more musical parts than all of Credo, <laughs> and and then ends with just this. I mean, it's it's just bombastic, you know, ending. It is. It's really. It's it's really wonderful. And Joe, something that you mentioned that I that I love is that you talked about the the uh, the end of the video with Sam Brown, how they're sitting on the couch, and and you're not really sure how it ends. Like you don't do they do yeah. they actually share their feelings or do they just kind of muddle through? And I've always felt like the that's how the song ends too, because the song ends instead of just ending. It ends with the sort of the day and and it just sort of leaves you hanging like you're not really sure what happens. Um, and I've always thought that that was just really stellar. I, I do think this is an area where I I, I want to rehash just a couple of, of of things that we've we've come across this idea. Well, at one big time here on on the palaver of a song like this and it actually from my perspective not tom's perspective it actually goes in the opposite the opposite way and that's the the track from hand cannot erase mm. where um nanette sings and and paul please remind me of which track that is it's track four it is track four um, I, can't remember, um, I can't remember the title and i haven't oh, routine haven't it up. routine, routine. Yes. so so routine from stephen wilson's <laughs> hand cannot erase um you know i remember when i I purchased the, I think it was the the digital version, and there was a a full Nanette version of that, and it was like, oh, can't wait to hear this. And you think in your mind it should be like stellar, right? Because Nanette kicks ass. Yeah. And 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 what you find, what I find, is listening to that, and I, I made this this comment on that episode, is that actually not. The, the the impact of of Nanette coming in when she does in the album version and and the switch from from Steven to Nanette creates such a dramatic moment that when mm. you have Nanette from the beginning it it doesn't it doesn't carry that 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 last verse doesn't carry that same 
weight in, in not even close. And, and so it, it's interesting. That's what I was thinking about initially when I thought yeah. about this. But, you know, in, in this particular case, like I said, I think I think the addition of Sam Brown just changes the whole narrative structure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, Paul, what did you think about the Sam Brown version? So, I mean, it was kind of jarring to me at first because I just wasn't, I uh, wasn't expecting it, but I, I think it's phenomenal. I, I, and, and, and no, and, and knowing that it was recorded afterwards, I think helps me too, Tom, because, because fish does sing it differently. And he, uh, to me, he sings it, he sings it like, okay, I've been singing this song for four years, you know? And, and it it's really sort of a, it's a I don't know if it's angrier or if it's just just you know chunkier in his voice, but but um, the raw emotion that the two of them deliver is uh, is 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 pretty awesome. I don't know that I would say I like one more than the other. I I I really like them both. They're 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 terrific. I I do I think I do like the guitar solo and the overall arrangement better on the original though I'll say. I think that 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 guitar solo on the original is just whew, okay. Yeah, I mean so, we we are 19 minutes into the album and it's just I mean, uh, where was the like this? That's my expression. Where was this? You know, last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and and I think we have we have stronger songs. We have this what I find to be stellar production on this. It, mm. the, the whole experience is just so different. Well, real quick, <clears throat> uh, Paul, nice job with on the uh, research department there because uh, <clears throat> that was a, a major find, um, figuring out that that was recorded four years later. Yeah. And because um, that's, a, that's a piece of the puzzle that really helps this whole thing. So that, that's awesome. They only did a remix of Big Wedge. I, I, I was hoping they re-recorded that one. <laughs> Holly, big wedge. Let's move on to something better. Uh, let's talk about favorite stranger. Now, uh, I'm curious what you know. A lot of these these songs on on the the latter part of this album. I'm curious what what you guys think about them. I find favorite stranger to be a deceivingly enjoyable song. If if I if you ask me, you know, sort of on the spur of the moment, what my thoughts about it are, you're almost like, you know, oh, it's one of those songs that you don't even really think about. It's so quiet and whatever. But I, I do think, again, when you when you sort of pay attention and, and listen closely, I think musically there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here, and and I I like, you know, this sort of subtle, understated delivery that Fish has here mm. as well. Yeah, and and if there was one thing that you were wondering after the first three track, tracks is where is that fretless bass that we loved so yeah, much? Right, and, <laughs> and here it is. Yeah, I love I love the the atmosphere of the guitar and the bass and this and the the overall like vibe. It is it is perfect. The the meandering the meandering like arpeggiated guitar and the fretless bass, with uh, it just like you said, Joe. It's deceivingly enjoyable. It's uh, I, when I when I heard this, I was I I 
immediately expected to be let down this go around just from my previous memory. And right, I totally yeah. wasn't. Totally wasn't. Fish himself almost even states this in the lyrics, right? Sometimes I feel I lost something in gaining everything, but I can't put my finger on what it was. It's just one of those nagging feelings, like sitting with your back to an open door, waiting on a favorite stranger. You know, I mean, it's just because that, that's almost how I feel about this song. I can't really put my <laughs> finger on, on what I like about it, but I really, really do. Um, that is a great line, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you read that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and, and honestly, the, the lyrics here, generally speaking, are, are pretty good. Maybe it's just I need an audience to pretend it's all an act. But all I gain is your confidence and a number and a filofax on the terms that it's a first name that'll run one day in split champagne and I'll recollect and just accept um, that you were one of my favorite strangers. There, there's one song on this album that I'm not totally thrilled with. And it's this one. <laughs> I, 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 I'm still on a high from Kratos. <laughs> I, I can't I can't quite get down now now we're going like you know lower lower I, 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 no seriously um I, there's nothing wrong with the song I think it's it's it definitely um, has moments that um, that get you I mean that line that Joe you just um, read yeah it, that's just uh, I mean what a wonderful the thing to put in the song and so that that always gets me it's just i if there's one song that is that i struggle with it's this one so i'm not gonna spend too much time with it um i i'm i'm glad it's on the album because there are things in it that i do enjoy listening to but sometimes fish is guilty of this sort of roller coaster ride and I, 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 I'm not ready for a song like this. Even the last song isn't, even though we sort of go down a notch with, with tempo and, and energy from Credo, I, I just, I don't really want to go down one more notch unless it's going to be like, you know, down a notch in energy. I, 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 I need, I, I need something better than this. So wow. I'm being very picky, but, it's not my favorite song. Well, so here's something interesting, though, Tom, is that, you know, you, the way you just described Just Good Friends, it's just not how I, how I feel about it at all, like, like I was saying. So, like, to me, I think the way Favorite Stranger lands on me is sort of like the breath, right? Like, I just had 19 minutes of epic fish with everything I just wanted to hear, all this great music, and, and Favorite Stranger... Is it's just it's just kind of a breath, you know. I get to hear fish talk about or sing about like really cool stuff, and I get this nice meandering guitar that just kind of takes me. And it's like a, it's like almost like just a little pause, a little breath to catch my breath before we uh, start off again. So it's just kind of interesting how how the fe the feelings about track three sort of uh, influence the feelings um, about track four. It's sort of a meandering musical interlude with really important lyrics over it and it's sort of a pause and a break in in the music and um yeah so i dig it i i but i definitely hear what you're saying tom but 
I, I yeah, I'm, I'm I not gonna I'm not gonna argue the point either. So good, we can use the extra time for you guys to explain to me what the chorus about what the chorus in Lucky is about because I don't get it. I don't I don't get it. So and and I was going to ask the question because I I've I've been sort of struggling with with Lucky myself because I I think there's some sonic dissonance going on here. I think this song is much more serious than it sounds. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you know, but but I can't. I, I've I've honestly been been struggling with with following the narrative. Like to your point, Paul, I think you know why is this person lucky? Like, yeah, I mean it, it's because, it's very autobiographical, right? About him and his hometown, and and um, so Dal Keith was where he was born. Moncantal was a was a was a town there's apparently it's a golf course now but it used to be a a a mine a mine town or a mine um and it's it's pretty it's a pretty downer tale and and then it it talks about it could have been you could have been me could have been anybody but he was born lucky so is there is lucky sort of a i i thought that was more sarcasm well, yeah, and that—that's—that's uh, what is I'm that struggling with here, right? Because is yeah. it is it sarcasm because all this bad stuff is going on in his homeland, or is it is it not sarcasm? And they're talking about, you know, all of these things could have happened to Derek Dick, but he was lucky, and he's now this famous musician kind of guy. I, I don't know. Hmm. It is—is is there a part of this? Is is this related to or the flip side of Tuxon? Are you talking about the subject matter of the lyrics? Uh, there, there's something about the. I'll tell you exactly what it is. He made his first down payment on a on a sharp Italian suit. He sewed razor blades into the lapels. He could have been. And the, there's something about the chorus that harkens back to that, right? So there, there's there's something about you know men, men's fashion getting out of you know being contrasted with you know less than desirable circumstances I, i'm i'm struggling with this but it's it's been kind of ping-ponging around in my head for about a week now and i haven't really been able to nail it down so the fact that neither one of you sort of zoned in on this leads me to believe that maybe there's actually nothing there but i don't know i did a quick search on song meanings and while the the lyrics are there, although they're not correct, there's no comments about what this song may or may not be about. I guess I could edit the lyrics if I wanted to. No, I can't. I got to create an account. They 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 quite got the lyrics wrong. They they instead of he met the world as a Dalkeith boy, they said he met the world as a Dalmatian boy. So, yeah. I'm gonna question anything i read on song lyric or song meanings anymore yeah it's a it's a tough one but while we're contemplating all of this how about the guitars huh how about it this is a a wonderful song i mean i I wish i had an answer for you guys about that (coughs) excuse me but even not knowing exactly what's going on i'm enjoying the ride yes this is usually how i experience most of my music tom (laughs) <laughs> so so with regards to the guitars the, the the notes that i have is i love the way that they're arranged again i think this is one of those cases where you've got 
the the two guitar parts kind of split. You can, if you have headphones on, you can easily sort of follow along. Yeah. And and the 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 guitars on the outro are just killer, absolutely stunning. The chorus is wonderful. It, it's not over the top. I mean, it there could have been, he could have gone in a direction of like almost like gang vocals here, like of like everyone sort of singing together. I mean, you know, there are multiple tracks, mind you, uh, but he could have gone in a, in a more produced direction. And because this, the song sort of uh, has that, again, we're going to bring it up, uh, almost something that like could be on Union where there's like a big chorus and there's there's potential they sort of over, overdo something that, they they shouldn't so i think this is it's it's a big chorus but it's not overdone and i love the textures in here i love the the guitar texture i love the the melody of the verse it's just uh, he's he's quick-witted um he's just right in the pocket and i mean this is one of the highlights of the of the album for me i i i, I really enjoy the song hmm. So I have found a definition for to be born lucky. And that is to have experienced conversion, especially to say evangelical Christianity, or two, showing the enthusiasm of one newly converted to any cause. So perhaps all of this, all of this uh, talk about, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations of a small town, small mining town, is uh is sort of juxtaposed by this idea that you know all the youth are born into this this cause that that's that's what this town does it's a mining town that's what they do and they work to do that i don't know just throw it out there i, I and i think this is a, you know this is an area where we can throw it out to our listeners so you know again if there's if there's something culturally that we're missing here or if if anyone just has better lore than us, which <laughs> has been known to happen, you know, by all means. It does happen from time please, to time. Please let us know. Tom, I agree with you. It's a highlight of the album, though, for sure. And, and, and I think maybe part of the reason why my Tux on Radar goes up on, on Lucky is because my Clutching at Straws radar is pinging incessantly with Dear Friend. Hmm. Dear Friend is... You know, I I think Tom, this this is the area where you know I, I think you know Fish is going a little bit country on us, um, but I still connect with the song, and 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 it it almost feels, you know, like I I had to laugh when I was when I was listening to our episode on misplaced childhood, and one of the, one of the funniest interactions I think we've had on the podcast is is I asked the question at the end of that, because we were discussing, you know, the end of that album and, and sort of, you know, the, the, the character that, that Fish is portraying at that point, and we all know that that was, you know, pretty closely aligned with him, is, has now sort of come to grips with his own internal demons, and he's realizing that he has to look out into the world and, and, and make an, an impact that way. And, and I asked the question of the group, do we think that change was was lasting or permanent 
And without breaking a sweat, Ken says, well, not if you listen to Clutching at Straws. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, friend of the palaver, Jonette McGouch, has a, a very eloquent email that she sent us on that album and, and you know, what she experienced based on our, our conversation about it and everything else. And, and, and there's, even though I love clutching at straws, it's it's undeniably a a very painful album. And if you listen to again the, the podcast between you and me, their treatment of that really you know gets into to that aspect of it. And it given the fact that you had this sort of arc in misplaced childhood of going through these these demons and then saying, ah, but I've I've solved my problems and I'm going to look outward, and then you know, two years and one album later, you're you're even in a worse place than you were at the beginning. It, it it can it can seem a little overwhelming, certainly as as we sit and and consume all of this. And for me, that's the beauty of of dear friend. So I mean, and there's a there's a lot here. Um, but where is it? I need to find it because it's very important. Um, are your horses still running when the bookie shops close? Is the band still together? Did you ever get on the road? We chased the same women. We drank the same beer. We came as a pair when we ran around here. How are you these days? Now you're a family man. Buy a drink for the boy in my place at the end of the bar. Mm. My place at the end of the bar is a direct quote from misplaced childhood. Give my regards to Nina. Slam a tequila. I'll write you at Christmas or I'll send you a card. And if you pass by, you're welcome to drop in and see me because it's unlikely I'll be round your way because I'm happy to be where I am living life as a family man. To me, this, and, and there's something about the feel of this song that I believe Fish at this point, right? Like this, this is as close as he's going to come, I think, to stating Hey, all the shit that I went through and and all the problems I had with success and excess and everything else, I'm good. I got through it and I'm happy doing the things that I'm doing now. And I think, you know, Tom, you mentioned that. Fish is happy doing what he's doing now. I think back to I think it was last week when I guess they were getting some snow up there and there there was this beautiful little video of Fish giving what he termed a weather update. He was standing outside in the snow in his bathrobe with a tape measure and he stuck it in the <laughs> snow and he said, you know, there you go. Five inches of snow so, so far. That's your weather update. And I mean, it's just, I, I watched one of these fish on Friday, you know, live broadcasts that he does. The guy spent like 30 minutes talking about his, his wood burning stove in the studio. It's, and it's genuine. It's phenomenal. And, and I love it. And it makes me happy to think that he got through all of that. And, and for me, that's why I love this song. Well, real quick, Joe, um, going back to something you said earlier, when he says at the end of the bar, I thought you were going to talk about, uh, I, th I thought you were going to talk about sugar mice because he does, there is a line about, being at the end of the bar. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's what he meant. I think he just Oh, well, because you said misplaced yeah. childhood. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. So, if, if I said that, it, yeah, it's a line from, from Clutching at Straws. My apologies. Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, but it's interesting because 
it's almost like it's a sequel to that, but it's a, there's a happy ending. It's yeah. like, yes, yeah, I think finally, finally, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it is nice to hear this subject um, because we have not heard anything like this from fish. Um, and we don't really hear this from most people that we listen to. I mean, they don't, they don't really put things in this sort of way. They don't talk about family too much. I mean, they talk about lost love and they'll talk about, you know, problems, but you know, th yeah. this is, um, uh, this is a, a, a happier ending. And I, and I, I, I find it very refreshing. And, I, and I, I, I like the, we're getting back some, I really enjoy this Celtic sort of undertones. It's subtle in the song, yeah. but um, I, I really enjoy that feel. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad he interjects this in, into things and some more subtle than others. Yeah, it's one of it's it's one of the times where that sort of uh, regional Celtic feel kind of works for me in a in in, in a popular song, if if I could use that term. It's um, right. It, it and what you said, Tom. It, that's part of the charm about some parts of this record for me. Sort of like just good friends and this. It, it's it's expressions of through lyrics that you don't often hear people write about, and it's it's uh it's really charming and, and it, it's, it's enjoyable. It, there is a, a funny thing though, about bringing it back to, you know, full circle. Anytime I hear the expression family, man, I, I need you to uh, Henry Rollins. Uh, Cause he used to have that, uh, that dialogue family man and yeah. about putting your Christmas lights up early, you know, all these years later, I, I still think of that. That's amazing. Henry Rollins is just everywhere tonight. Yeah. I guess it's a good thing I brought him up. It's almost like I knew. So, yeah, I, I, we're happy that, that Fish has his happy ending. I think that that's really great. Now, if we move on to tongues, I'm going to step out on a limb here, and I'm going to say, I'm going to guess I'm the only member of the Palaver that gets as excited about tongues as I do. I really like the song um i uh, i i enjoy it at first listen this is the kind of song that you would think that okay here comes the b-side here comes the song that you know should shouldn't maybe not have made the album but there are real wonderful moments in this song and again the guitars um when he this sort of in the chorus, these whining guitars, they're almost like a separate character um, that they're sort of just like squealing. And like at the end, he re even howls. And then the, yeah. the guitar is doing like this, almost like this counter, like counter howl. Whining. <laughs> it's just like, a, it's just, um, there's, I, there, if, if there are, songs on this album that are not as good as others the 
the props to the band here because and not just the band props to everyone okay but i mean certainly the guitar players um really bring things up a notch and uh, there are it's like they know exactly what fish is trying to say they know what he's trying to get across and they're creative people a song like this a song like tongues these are you know i know that his band are not just you know hired guns who just are, are playing something um that they're asked to play i mean these are people who are saying to themselves this is what the song needs and i i'm, I'm going to give my creative input not just my talent but my 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 creative input and and it's not to say that i, I don't like the song um but i'm saying that this is a is a song that really you can listen to and get a lot of different things out of it because maybe it isn't like an over-the-top home run song and so you're able to sort of step back a little and appreciate some of the nuances that that are going on i'll bite joe i'll just say this i I love all the parts. When I listen to this song as itself, I love all the parts, except for the uh, the uh, howling part. I'm, I don't think I've ever really been okay with that. Um, <laughs> but I think that like, there's this weird sort of like strange heavy metal thing with this one sort of part that always reminds me of Super Tramp for some reason. Uh, it's just like the one phrase in, of, of each verse. Um, and for me, it just seems like it doesn't fit in the rest of the album. Like this song is just sort of, it sticks out. Like it doesn't quite belong. And I kind of feel like I get what they're trying to accomplish. And, and I, and, and so like, again, I agree with Tom. I like the song. I, I, when I listen to it just on its own, I, except for the howling, I can't really find, I mean, I, I like it actually, but I just feel like it doesn't fit. It, it, it does seem like it should, it belongs on the B side of a, of a single. I mean, I think thematically it doesn't fit. If you look at, if you look at the lyrics, which I think the lyrics are absolutely exceptional, but they, yeah. they make me think of Fugazi. Mm. You know, it, it because this is, uh, if you really knew how I felt, you wouldn't need to be here asking those questions, those irritating questions, moving in metaphors, speaking in tongues. Your gunboat diplomacy. You accuse me of heresy, of being irreverent. My opinions irrelevant when I smile at your smiles, when you're speaking in tongues. As we move to a stalemate, you say a contract's a contract, and this is unnegotiable. I question your morality. You question my reality. You're speaking in tongues. So this, to me, I think this is this is the this is the record label song, isn't it? Hmm. It's it's not actually an interpersonal song. This is this is the record label bashing your entrenched opinions on the border of arrogance, dug in against the compromise, a position indefensible. Your actions illogical. You're speaking in tongues. You swear contradictions, your tedious monologues, wielding authority, demanding subservience, demanding I make your sense. 
Now, sense could be, it's it's written here as S-E-N-S-E, but it could also be C-E-N-T-S, demanding mm. speaking in tongues. So I, I think I think maybe that's why it's here. And, and because if it was a straight-up Fugazi-era interpersonal relationship, things are going to shit, and this, you know, this partner is annoying me, I think it would be completely incongruous. However, if this is speaking to Fish's, you know, emancipation battle with, with EMI, which we know famously happened between Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors and the release of this, I think maybe it does fit in here when you when you put it in the context, certainly, of the next song that we're going to get to. Well, well, Joe, it's interesting that you bring all of that up because um, the link that will be posted in the show notes for all of the lyrics of this album, Internal Exile, at the very end of Tongues, it says, dedicated to Rupert Perry, who happens to be a high-ranking member of the EMI Record Corporation. <laughs> well, there you go. Well done. Well done. So, nice. And and you know, and and from a from a musical perspective, and you guys kind of already talked about this. I, you know, again, this is another one of those cases where where Kimsey has the two guitarists in either ear doing complimentary things to each other and the keyboards are just kind of in the middle gluing it all together and I ooh, just absolutely love it. What I love about I mean kudos to you Joe for picking that up. That's exceptional. And the thing that I love about it is that you know you listen to those lyrics and and went there as I was studying the lyrics over the last week listening through this and I was, this is, I have this on disc, so I was actually happy to sit there with the booklet and read them. I, quite frankly, thinking about all of the, the nonsense that routinely goes on in American politics, but particularly some of the things, I mean, we have right now in a, a in a very historic way, regardless of which side of, of any position you want to take, we have American politicians literally standing up in the government body talking out of both sides of their mouth at the same time <laughs> and and when when i when i watch that on the news and i i'm i just sit there and think about how crazy it is and then i and then you know listen to a song like this and and read the lyrics it's like wow you know this shit just goes on and on and on decades and decades at a time yeah. it's, it's it's amazing it is amazing. And so we can finish out the album with perhaps the greatest achievement in sonic dissonance that we're going to <laughs> that we're going to come across here in in this episode. Internal Exile. So this is you know by all accounts this is this is Fish's you know anthem for Scottish independence. Um and yet it is the most fun, bouncy song you can possibly imagine. And and the video mirrors this to a T. It is absolutely a I mean, you can't help but have a good time. I absolutely, you know, I'm I'm becoming fixated with these whistles. I, I love this idea of, of the whistles. 
and and I need to look up pictures of of these Celtic whistles, and I need to to understand more about them. I find them fascinating. I have never seen so many different tartans in a video before in my life. Everyone in this video is wearing a tartan of some form or fashion, um, including Fish, while not wearing a kilt, but he does have this beautiful sort of tartan leisure suit thing going, if I remember correctly. There is... Tom, you you brought up the keytar. Absolutely spectacular. <laughs> um... You know, it, there's just there's there's so much here, but and and this is one of the cases, right? If you go back to the the bonus tracks from Clutching at Straws, there's there's a track on there called um, I believe it's Exile on Prince's Street, and and you can tell that this that was the original idea that Fish was going for here. And, and so some of the themes are there, but it's the the time that he took to craft those lyrics. You you I mean, if you listen to the two side by side, it's amazing how much more effective the the lyrics are in in internal exile. So, and I'm trying to find one in particular that really really gets me. So just let's just look at the first verse, right? I saw a blue umbrella in Prince's Street Garden heading out west for the Lothian Road. An evening news stuffed deep in his pocket wrapped up his problems to keep away the cold. Grierson's spirit haunts the dockyards where only where the only men working are on documentary crews, shooting films as the lines get longer, as the seams run out, as the oil runs dry. So this idea of the Blue Umbrella and Prince's Street Gardens and the documentary crews are there in Exile on Prince's Street, but it's it's almost a clumsy way that he sort of introduces that, right? And yeah. and I think these lyrics here are so much more clever and effective in painting that picture, and it really does illustrate you know, the amount of, of effort that Fish puts into these lyrics and the ultimate payoff that he and we as the audience get from that effort. It, it's really quite stunning to me. The song is a joy. I mean, I could listen to this song on repeat just over and over again. I mean, I have never listened to the song and like not wanted to just dance around like a fool and, and just, and just enjoy myself. And again, I, I do feel guilty because I know that there are some, um, serious aspects of the, of the lyrics, but you know, fish takes us, um, there is a dichotomy here. I mean, he takes us, um, to a place where we're able to understand what's going on, but we're able to, uh, come out the other side on a, on a higher note. And, um, I think that's sort of, for me, part of the richness of the song and the fact that uh, it was such an upbeat. I love. I just. I. I listen to the song, and I. I. I, I, I want to go to Scotland, and I just want to, you know, learn everything there is about about Scotland. And I. I you know, it's. It's just he really and he really gives you a taste of his world here, and it's just successful. It's just. It's. I mean, it wouldn't be anything if it wasn't a good song. I mean, I'm not saying that yeah. 
uh, I mean, the, the fact that it was just so well crafted, um, you know, makes it, you know, what it is. But I, I just, I just love this. And this is, again, this is one of my uh, favorite fish songs. And this will always be one of my favorite songs, period. And, and, and even, like I said, in, in the video, right? I mean, at, at the, the outro part where it just really sort of kicks in, I mean, everyone is, you know, they're, they're all dancing. It's very celebratory, even though you've got... And, and, and keep in mind the, the definition of internal exile that we had or that we visited at the, at the top of the episode. They bury a wasteland deep in the wilderness, poison the soil, and reap the harvest of blind indifference, greed, and apathy sowed way back in our history. The fish are few, the harbor's empty, the keels now rot on our oil-slicked shores, the sheep are gone, the farms deserted, we're out of sight, and we're out of mind. So, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the heavy part you're talking about, Tom. And, mm-hmm. and at the same time, it's almost like, and I, 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 I really should tread very carefully here about putting words in Fish's mouth, but it's almost like, yeah, all of that is true, and, and there are some, some bad things that we're kind of dealing with, but this is our Scotland, and we want it. Right, and I think that's where this celebratory part comes in. It's like it doesn't matter what has happened, or or all the bad things that have gone on. You know, and this is this is our our homeland, and this is you know what we feel is important. And uh, maybe I don't know. I'll just shut up. Huh. <laughs> no, I I totally hear you. Uh, I think that was well put. I wonder if 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 it's that similar. Uh, similar feeling or sentiment of lucky uh yeah right born you know they're they're born in it it's their it's their land it's their way it's their you know they're they're converted and committed to their heritage and and maybe maybe that's what it's about i i i've been on record as saying that i don't particularly care for such a obvious um you know, Celtic or such an uh, uh, obvious uh, geographic or I don't know, uh, what's the right word I'm using? Regional? Cultural. What's that? Regional? Regional. Regional cultural influence and in popular music. These types of songs that, that tap into this sort of Scottish feeling and music make me, make me think of that song by Slade, that run, run away, right? That was popular in the 80s. Um, just always sound sounds like that. This song is a is quite an earworm, though. It's definitely one that's uh that sticks with you. So even though you know musically, it's it's not my favorite of the album. Uh, I do find myself, you know, singing this one many many times after I listen to the album. This this is the one that gets stuck in my head. So and and I'll and I'll share if if I can share my screen real quick. Can you see this? I can. Oh, this is a Clark ah. Kel- Celtic whistle. It's only fifteen dollars, Joe. Yeah, but have you seen the pictures of the of the guys? I think there's more to it than this. Is there? I, I think so. Oh, oh. I love the dude with the flag. Yeah. Oh, see, look at look at look at fish in that with that jacket. That is really something. <laughs> 
And he's got the, the whole beret thing going. So look <laughs> I love the I love the the castle barn dance. And and even when he when he's he's doing those internal exile exult exaltations in there, he looks genuinely pleased, right? It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Um I'll I'll see if I okay. can find the picture that I, I saw last week with regard okay. to these. Well, if you wanted to turn your fascination with Celtic whistles into, you know, a collection, you can get started for fifteen dollars, Joe. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the, uh, the the next white car release for you, Paul. So I'm going to stay away from Celtic whistles at this point. So we can finish up quickly with something in the air and. You know, technically, you know, this is, well, this is a cover, so, you know, but it's on, it's on the studio album, so we'll cover it. Excellent. Interesting. Have you guys looked into something in the air at all? Just by, a little bit. By, by Thunderclap Newman? Yeah. With the, the added bonus of having Pete Townsend play bass on it and produce yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, that's that's a little interesting. I, I actually went, it's one of those songs where I'm like, I know I've heard this before. There's, there was always something about it that kind of like tickled my ear. So I went and listened to the Thunderclap Newman version on Spotify. And I, I can't really say that it's something that I immediately recognize. So I, I don't exactly know how or why it was in my consciousness. But it was always kind of obvious even before I knew when I got this album that this was not sort of a fish song with the rest of them, right? Mm. But I do think, um, I think maybe it's a, a bit of a, of, a, of a hopeful spin that Fish is trying to put as a, as a punctuation on this album of, you know, these, these other topics that he's been sort of talking about. How cool is it that... Fish says, um, brings up Lothian again. Yeah. On L Lothian Road. I feel like I've been on this road. I've been on this road before, gentlemen. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, this, I like this cover. I like the backbeat. And this is something that he will, we will be hearing later on in his original music. Um, Maybe not immediately, but you know, definitely toward the end of the '90s, and I I really like that style that he incorporates with like a, a modern beat, and he sort of brings in sort of his his fish world. His the the I'm not talking about this particular cover. I'm talking about the 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 the, the backbeat at this point. But um, I I like the style of bringing in his sound the fish lyrics the fish vocal and having this these modern beats um and even marillion has has done this at times with modern beats and i think they've been successful it's nice to hear listen we we we, we call them neo prog there's a lot of you know styles that you know marillion has incorporated with fish without fish but um, I think that both of them, when they when they bring in newer elements, newer modern elements, whether it's uh, a a newer sounding beat or a uh, newer sounding keyboard or, or whatever, I think they're all very they're they're both very successful at it. 
and um, this this is an interesting cover. You know, it's uh, it's sort of a reimagination of the of the song, and it's not. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we heard a a band or someone do a cover, and you're just like, why did they do that cover? It's oh just, yeah, absolutely. And you're just like, why? You know. Mm. And so this was this gives you something that you don't hear in the original. And I'm enjoying myself when I when I when I hear this song. It's uh, I'm just, you know bopping along and. I uh, yeah I I'm I'm glad he put it on here. I don't really have anything else to add on top of that. Me neither. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's a yeah it's an appropriate way to end the album. It kind of brings you down, sends you out. Um, I honestly, I mean, it, it could have been here, it could have not been here. They could have ended on Internal Exile, and I would have had a big smile on my face. It's you know, but but again, I I I, I almost feel like you know Fish felt that it added something, and so. Cool. I'll I'll respect that. Is it fair to say that Internal Exile is sort of the, the fishes? Uh, we talked about Good Friends sort of being the sequel to uh, Dear Friend, being the sequel to Sugar Mice. Is Internal Exile the sequel to White Feather? Maybe. Interesting. I don't know. I think it could be. I, I think you would have a, a pretty good argument there for it. Um, whether it was intended that way, I don't know, but I can definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So that uh, that ends our very extended coverage of <laughs> Fish's <laughs> Internal Exile. I think I think I think we need uh, we need Ken and his uh, his desire to go to bed at a decent hour to keep us uh, in in sort of on pace here. But yeah, um, you know, I, I think there was there was a lot here to cover. And, and again, this is an album that I have have always super duper enjoyed. I still enjoy it. Um, I found more to enjoy, and I didn't really find anything that that turned me off. So you know, very very cool. I think when we look yeah. at yeah, sorry, go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say, say that I think that's the second week in a row that the, the phrase super duper has been uttered here at the Palaver. Super duper. I think. Wow. And, unless I'm confusing it with the many other Zoom calls I participate in every week. I don't know. I could be wrong. So if we look, if we look ahead, my guess is we haven't talked about this explicitly in the, in the uh, tech stream, but I'm, I'm, I'm proposing we skip over Songs from the Mirror since it is a full covers album. I I, I just I, I don't see a whole lot there. Although there are some interesting um, songs that are are covered, specifically Five Years by David Bowie, Time and a Word from Yes, and I Know What I Like from from Genesis, as well as Fearless from Pink Floyd's Metal. But that being said, um, I would propose that we go right from Internal Exile to Suits in our next episode. And I support it'll that. Be heartbreaking, but, uh, it'll be heartbreaking, but we should do it. <laughs> Tom says that with a wry smile. So, uh, so I, I think that's where we will go. Um, we, can, we can discuss it 
And, um, oh, actually, we have to also look at the timeline because we may, in fact, bounce back into Peter Gabriel next episode. I think we, I think we have to cover us with us before suits. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that'll be fun. We'll go from internal exile to us and then back to suits. So that'll be fun. Tom, we haven't had you on for a Peter Gabriel episode yet, have we? I was on one. I was okay. on Peter Gabriel four. Okay, perfect. So we'll be able to uh, to do that. And gentlemen, um, I thank you for your extended time here this evening and look forward to, again, next episode covering whatever it is that we cover. you've enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions you can reach us on facebook instagram or twitter we are at prog paula on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is prog paula that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, yes, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.